0: Hey, welcome to... Happy Tears! I'm Brandon. And I'm Nick,
1: and this is Happy Tears, a podcast where two sensitive boys talk about the art that they love, so much so that it often brings them to tears. Today on the podcast, two movies that will probably be in the conversation come awards time. For sure. Bong Joon-ho's Parasite... South Korean director and film, and Robert Eggers, The Lighthouse, starring Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. A little bit of creepy, a little bit of thrill, a little bit of weird. A lot of weird. This is Happy Tears. (laughs) (laughs) Ah... You got any recs for me? I don't have any music recs, and I know that's a lot of what we usually talk about. No. I've been watching a lot of movies lately. As I mentioned last week on the podcast, I'm yeah. on this crusade. <laughs> it's a crusade, Brandon. <laughs> yeah, all right. I'm on a crusade to catch up with the as many of the great movies of the decade as I can. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that I haven't seen, and there's a lot that I have seen that I really love that I just want to revisit before the new year. And so I've watched a couple In the last week or so. Mm -hmm. First of which is one I think that you also watched, 20th Century Women. Oh, yes. I did watch that. I loved it. I loved it too, man. What did you like about it? I thought all the acting was wonderful. Mm -hmm. The story was just so... It was just like a a beautiful little snapshot of people's lives. I love the, the... The way that he told the story by changing the narrator throughout the film. I like the weird sense of time that the movie gave you because he did a lot of stuff where he kind of like sped up long shots and like sequences. Mm
0: -hmm. This is, by the way, Mike Mills uh, is the director of this. And if you go back to episode one of our podcast, he directed the kind of short film for that uh, that was paired with the Nationals album of this year so. We talked about him before, but this is a, a full-length film that he did. Do you remember the? Is this two thousand eight seventeen? I don't.
1: 16, 17, see, something in there. I kind of really identified with the young boy, the kid. I think all men kind of find themselves at one point or another in their life, falling into the trap of the uh, the fragile male ego and being pressured by other men. To be less sensitive and more, you know, more macho, a more classic sense of what a man is that I think society's getting further and further from as we get more progressive. And so I really identified with the main character that was dealing with outside pressures from other, from his peers, from other guys he's hanging around. But you can tell he's kind of a sensitive kid that as he started learning about feminism was was really uh, growing and also kind of getting it wrong sometimes and like reading one book and thinking he knows everything about his mom. <laughs> like I've been, you know, I've been that guy that yeah. like read one feminist essay. I was like, cool, got it. <laughs> feminism achieved, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, there, were, there was a lot I loved about it, but it, it was just really great. All the characters were felt like real people and you really fell in love with all of them for different reasons. Yeah.
0: That's mainly what I, I mean, I I think I agree with you on all of those points, but I think just really the characters are felt so real and natural and I could have spent many more hours with them. And then I, I do love that. It's kind of a snapshot of your life uh, or of a life. And just sometimes it's nice to think about how people enter and exit your life and how they played an important part and they might not be in your life anymore, but that those times are like critical times that you were uh, like growing in certain ways and for sure because of them or your relationship to them and stuff. So it's really nice. Yeah. Great movie. Loved it. It's really funny too. Yeah. Lots of great humor. Other than that,
1: I also watched a movie called Lock. Yep. A 2013 film uh, from director Stephen Knight starring Tom Hardy. You have not seen this.
0: Right. Correct. I, I wanted to see it. Very badly when it came out because of its concept, and I loved Tom Hardy at the time. Yeah. And uh, I remember watching the trailer a bunch. It's like a pretty moody trailer. Like, yeah, I, I really want to see it, but for some reason I've not. If you haven't heard of
1: this movie, it is 100% beginning to end. Just Tom Cardi... Tom Cardi? <laughs> Tom Cardi B, dude. Tom Cardi B, alone in a car. <laughs> Tom Hardy, alone in a car. He's just driving on the highway for... 84 minutes and he's on speakerphone and you watch as his life just kind of falls apart as we watch him just sit in a car driving but the cinematography is incredible for like keeping that interesting and like all the different angles that it shoots from like they shoot a shot all over the car like mounting a camera you know in different places and there's a lot of crossfades and stuff between like out of focus lights and nighttime car things that like give it just gives it a dreamlike sense of that's cool of like it's out of time and all the acting is really good on the phone that i actually recognized a lot of the voices olivia coleman from the favorite oh yeah uh tom holland pre spider-man days and uh tom hardy is the only person we see the whole movie It manages to tell a compelling story in one location with one actor. Crazy. Definitely recommend it. It won't be on my best of the best of the decade, but it is a really good movie and and worth checking out. Sweet. So last week I mentioned that I have put together these lists for the movie crusade that I'm on, the Decade (laughs) Rewind. Uh, I, I've been still trying to figure out the best way to communicate those lists to the world, especially in a way that I can like go through and check it off as I go. For now, I have added a list of blind spots to my Letterboxd account. So if people don't know what Letterboxd is, it's like an online film review community. Yeah, I'll put the link in the show notes so people can at least see the list of movies that I have not yet seen. I've got a much longer list of movies that I want to revisit that i've already seen once or twice so yeah we'll start there and i'll figure out a better way to manage this as we go
0: what do you got what's what's going on with you i'm gonna do uh a little trio of songs that i want to recommend and i'll do them quickly excellent because i have the inability
1: to do that as we (laughs) have found
0: um there's a song called deal with it w-i-v-i-t um by mira masa And Slow Tie, it's just a wild, wild song with a wild music video. The chorus is just um, pretty energetic and crazy, and there's a lot of, like, just sounds kind of mischievous and has like this punk quality to it um but also kind of reminds me of like the gorillas or blur and parts but it's really fun and slow tie I, i've mentioned how i like his album a lot this sounds pretty different from anything on his his album and it's more on the rock side of things but uh super fun song Another one um, called Mirage Don't Stop by Jesse Ware is just super groovy, like some disco elements, some house elements. New single from her and I really, really love it. Great dance track. And then a song called Forest Green that just came out by a band called Wolf Parade. Their album Apologies to Queen Mary was like one of my like quintessential high school albums. Oh, cool. Um, with friends and stuff, and so they have a new album coming out in January, and this one I really love. Definitely has some rock elements has some synth elements and then has a really cool like kind of two minute coda at the it's like a five minute track and i think that last two minutes is super cool as well all three cool tracks and then i will add them to the spotify playlist do it and then i finished nickel boys which is an album by colson whitehead i mean a book by colson whitehead <laughs> not an album and it kind of tore me apart at the end i mean throughout it it's a pretty heavy heavy book with uh characters and heavy circumstances for sure it's it's not a, a long novel and he's a Pulitzer prize winner for his book The Underground Railroad so this one's much much shorter than that but it's based around real events of this school in in Florida that treated its students terribly so it's just it it's a lot of <laughs> a lot of really terrible tragedy throughout but it's the main character holds on to the sense of hope and it's kind of what makes you keep reading but there's some great some of his friends are really great characters too and worth a read there
1: happy tears at the end
0: yeah big time. but yeah i was uh i was pretty stunned and it's like in this transition into the epilogue that they kind of uh stunned me and so excellent yeah man cool so do we want to dive right in um well we've got oh no dive right into some listener (laughs) feedback (laughs) there you go what a (laughs) what a segue So last week we had the question of what movie and what scene from a movie terrified you as a kid, and we got some listener feedback on Instagram.
1: So super fan Natalie said the dog from Sandlot terrified her, and I can co-sign that. I thought that was super <laughs> scary when I was a
0: kid. Oh yeah.
1: Uh, she also mentioned the beginning of the Little Rascals, which I do not remember. So we'll take her word on that one. At Kelsey Maddox said signs. Yeah. Mel Gibson before he was an (laughs) anti-Semite.
0: At Kristen Henry said ET, which I don't think I was terrified of, but I remember my little brother was definitely scared of.
1: I think I was scared. I don't know, I don't remember ever watching ET beginning to end as a kid. Really? I know I've seen it, but I think it did scare me. Yeah, yeah, there's scary elements for sure. Oh, my buddy Dolan Hammett Said Alien, his dad let him watch it when he was seven. Nice. That's insane. (laughs) And then at Afterglow Gallery, our friend Saeed said Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. The part with the medieval warrior. So many nightmares, he says. I've never seen Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Have you?
0: I have, but it's been like, I don't remember that particular scene. Sounds terrifying. (laughs) Yeah. Well, uh, thank you all. Thanks for reaching out. We really appreciate it. Yeah, remember you can respond to our Instagram stories and then also please leave a voice message. Uh, You might hear yourself on the podcast or uh, we'd love hearing your Happy Tears stories. Yeah. Tell us how how they can do that, Nick.
1: The link for the voicemail is on our homepage at Mm happytearspod.com and that's it.
0: (laughs) So now let's dive in deeper to our content for today.
1: Yeah. Let's get creepy. Let's get, let's get weird. Let's Let's get get weird. weird. (laughs) The first topic of discussion today is the new film Parasite, directed by Korean filmmaker Bong Joon-ho. Brandon, you want to tell me a little bit about this thing?
0: The movie info on Rotten Tomatoes reads, Bong Joon-ho brings his work home to Korea in this pitch black modern fairy tale. Meet the Park family, the picture of aspirational wealth. And the Kim family, rich in street smarts, but not much else. Be it chance or fate, these two houses are brought together and the Kims sense a golden opportunity. So, what else have you seen from this director?
1: Yeah, I think I've only seen his English-speaking films.
0: So Snowpiercer
1: and Okja Mm -hmm. I think are the only ones that I've seen. What about you?
0: I think Snowpiercer is the only one I've seen. I know quite a bit about The Host which is another Korean one of his and I've always wanted to see Mother and then I think Memories of a Murder is another one that's always been on my radar I just haven't caught up with. So just Snowpiercer but uh, I do think that There's some similarities for sure between this one and Snowpiercer, but obviously Parasite is in Korean.
1: Yeah, and it it seems, and I don't know a lot about some of his other Korean films, but just from the ones that I've seen, the English-speaking ones, this film, Parasite, seems a little more grounded than his other work. Yeah. Is that true of his Korean films also?
0: I think so, yeah. I say that. It seems definitely uh, more grounded than, than the host, but I'm not sure about Mother and Memories of Murder.
1: Cause yeah, the in the films that I've seen of his, really the uh, they're just so crazy, stylized, yeah. over the top, exaggerated uh, wardrobe and. Just really interesting style to to every
0: aspect of the film. Right,
1: this film is stylized to a point, but it is very much grounded in in
0: a certain type of reality. Right, much more about two families and the Kims and the Parks.
1: And I hadn't seen a trailer for this movie going in, so just knowing that it's Bong Joon Ho and it's called Parasite, I was expecting like a. Uh, Maybe an epidemic-style like disease film yeah, or something, like a I horror? Think this,
0: I've heard that, too. And I imagine some of that is from him having a film also called The Host, right. which is definitely more uh, monster-heavy. Yeah. It's not exactly what I expected, but I, I really love this movie. I thought it was great. The writing is incredible. Pretty much everything. I loved the family. I loved the setting. I think the set pieces are super strong. I'm excited to dive in.
1: So, at the very beginning, we meet this family, right? They live in this underground house, basically, right?
0: Yeah, kind of sunken like the... You can see the street, but only from windows near the ceiling. Right.
1: They clearly don't have a lot of money. I can't remember how early you get the sense that they're all kind of con artists, grifters, but their their chemistry together is so much fun. Oh, yeah, it's great. They're all a little bit dirty and a little bit crass with each other (laughs) yeah right off the bat you kind of fall in love with these scoundrels a little bit right i mean Mm -hmm. that's that's what happened with me
0: yeah they're trying to um they're like folding pizza boxes for money and they're trying to kind of weasel their way into more work yeah Yeah, it just seems like they're they're hustlers a little bit yeah
1: so basically what happens is a mother a father and their two kids the sense that i got was the boy is like a a late teenager and the girls in her early 20s maybe they're both young adults Mm -hmm. so the young man of the family gets an opportunity to go an English tutor to a wealthy family Mm
0: -hmm. through a friend that was the tutor. And he's in at a university. Right. So, yeah,
1: so he gets hooked up by his buddy that is educated and kind of passes this guy off as being more educated than maybe he is. Right. Mm -hmm. He gets this gig and essentially systematically starts finding opportunities to bring his own family to do other jobs with this wealthy family and they parasitically <laughs> sort of attach themselves to this wealthy family and begin this sort of symbiotic relationship that the wealthy family doesn't even really, they're not fully aware of. They, they have no idea that these people are related, that they keep hiring. Mm-hmm. To me, it was like an Ocean's Eleven style yeah.
0: caper, you know? <laughs> For sure, yeah. They make uh, this like domestic affair very exciting and they're trying not to get caught and plenty of suspense happens right away.
1: But yeah, so the first maybe half of this film to me is really exciting because it is kind of like Ocean's Eleven in that it uh, you see this plan unfolding and they're just they're kind of improvising as they're going and it's just this long con right and, right and you're in on it because you're sure. you're seeing it from the perspective of this family and um, this rich family is. I wouldn't say they're actively bad people, right? But there is just an interesting dynamic between classes here.
0: Yeah, and they are pretty oblivious to a lot of things. You, it seems that they don't care about you know other people's, or at least even think about like what other people might have issues with or problems that they face. It's kind of all about them and their household and. You know, people are kind of expendable that work for them.
1: You know, one thing I was not expecting going into this was how funny this movie turned oh, yeah. out to be.
0: I mean, even just the relationships between the Kim family alone, uh, there's just some really, really funny moments. And then obviously, once they start to get up, up to these shenanigans, then humor arises just from those situations. Kind of how they creatively work their way in. I mean, we'll hold it there because there's we'll talk maybe spoilers a little bit later. But I think that that's a good enough. Uh, start the conversation. Some of my favorite things about this film, one, I mean, just being the excitement of it, the unexpected humor, for sure. Uh, The cinematography is really great, and I said that I liked the set pieces quite a bit, and it just did a really great job of having... Showing the dichotomy between each of these families' homes. There's these shots of when they're all in the frame kind of looking out. Each family looks out their windows to see what's happening. And outside of the Rich Parks family is a huge, they have a huge window. I mean, their house is spectacular, right? right. They live um, on top of this hill. And it was designed by this famous architect who lived there and then moved out. And it's gorgeous in their backyard. is just manicured perfectly. And it has kind of like this facade of trees from their living room, they, you could sit on the couch and you just look out of this humongous window to this pristine land. And the, the funny thing, I mean, it shows this the opposite of for the Kim family, where they are all kind of huddled together in this small space, looking out of these small windows that are at the top of their or near their ceiling, where they could see, you know, barely a little bit of the street where drunk people come to take a piss right <laughs> so it's like that and like a lot of the blocking in those scenes just are extremely effective in showing that the differences between the families and the family homes and uh the way uh, yeah just the way they kind of frame those is, is really great so much humor and some of it's you know tragic humor and which i think is like the brilliant part of this film and then it there's kind of an unexpected twist that i think Adds a whole nother layer to this film that's uh, pretty amazing, and it kind of threw me, <laughs> threw me way off.
1: Right, absolutely. Really goes off the rails. Yeah, it goes later. off. And
0: and but it keeps. It, I mean, suspense that's kind of rising in one area completely kind of explodes because of something else that comes up. And so uh, I just thought all that was composed just so well. Not really a dull moment, and I think it had a, quite a bit to say to specifically about you know class dynamics, um, even. Dynamics, like, in the same class. I don't know, Is it's interesting how the Park family is not necessarily treating the Kim family poorly. It's more of looking at them as... I mean, they're not directly treating them poorly, right? But they look at them as other, and they're not... There's this uh, way that they don't let them get too close to them or too in their business. They're
1: the slightest indignities, right? Just, like, a very specific one is... uh, So the father of the Kim family gets hired as their driver. Right. And there's a moment where... (laughs) I think actually, I think there's a, a moment where both the father and the mother of the Park family like smell something in the car, and it's right. clearly him, right? Yeah, and so
0: yeah, there's that particular moment, and they talk about this on that the film spotting episode of of uh, of Parasite, but it was just super noticeable when the after he's hired, the mother gets in the car, and she's just super careless and throws her feet uh, on the passenger side chair. Right. With no real care if they smell or it, it just seemed like rude, but obviously she's not thinking about that at all. Right. But what she is thinking about is... How you know, Mr. Kim smells right while
1: sticking her feet in his face, basically. Yeah,
0: just little interactions like that that were just kind of placed perfectly and told the story by uh, showing rather than telling. The movie's great at that.
1: I can't think of a uh, a weak element of the movie. I think the acting is really great. The writing isn't like I don't know how somebody thought of this. Yeah, I I mean, you and I said that leaving the theater, right? Like,
0: right. We had that. It was like the same the same thought when we when we came out. I was like, wow, how did how does someone just create this out of nothing. <laughs> right.
1: You mentioned the cinematography is beautiful. The set design is beautiful. It really fires on all cylinders. For that reason, it won the Palme d'Or in uh, at the Cannes Film Festival, right?
0: Yeah, it's the first Korean film, which surprised me to ever win the Palme d'Or. So, I mean, that's a special thing for Bong Joon-ho and for Korea, obviously. It's really, I know several in the past had has been, like, The Handmaiden was a, a recent one that, I'm not even sure was in competition there, but I'm, Pretty sure it was at can, and there's another one too. Maybe Snowpiercer is what I'm thinking of. Mm. But
1: Let's talk about some of our favorite moments and I'm going to kind of pass this off to you because <laughs> I'm going to think about it as we go because I just, I really love this movie beginning to end Yeah, and I'm struggling to pick out a specific highlight, but what, uh, what about you?
0: I'm with you that there's just so many favorite moments throughout, but I think a moment that... Per- particularly wowed me was this whole sequence in the rain and the way that the city felt while it was just monsooning (laughs) and um, them kind of, working their way downwards and it just felt like it was a never ending descent into where they lived and like all of that I just think was executed so well from the camera work of it to the set design and then also I was listening to an interview uh with the director and he was talking about how I don't know if he was talking about it as a symbol, but just that the significance of water in the film, that the people that live in the lowest parts are affected by water them the most and it right. being like dirty water goes downwards, drains downwards, and they're always kind of at the bottom is where it accumulates. Right. And he uses that throughout the film really well. Yeah. If I had to pick maybe
1: a favorite scene, it may be the scene just before that. It's a sequence where some of the characters in the story are having to essentially sneak around these other characters mm-hmm. within this house. Mm-hmm. And the tension is just so thick yeah it's just really exciting right really from the moment that all these characters come together right up to and even including what you just described the uh the kind of monsoon as these as the family descends into the depths of mm-hmm. of the city was just crazy and, and yeah. really great
0: so we'll give uh just a pretty uh big spoiler warning here just because of how suspenseful this film is and if what we're talking about might ruin some key points of it, but um, I did want to talk about the significance of the rock in this movie. Um, what they kind of call like a fortune rock, the son's friend that's that you know the college educated one ends up giving them this kind of big rock that they keep as this kind of metaphorical good fortune, or it's supposed to bring good to them, right? And you think that this rock is going to represent something in this character. And there's a scene kind of near the end where the rock is just completely meaningless in this part, other than it's just used as a blunt object of violence. Right. Yeah, I just thought it was an interesting way. It's kind of set up as something you think is this mysterious thing, and it ends up that's supposed to represent like this fortune or this dream that they're holding on to, And in the end, it's just an object that has none of that. And it's just a, an object of sheer force. Right. It kind of subverts your expectations there. And it's more of like a reality punch or something. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I, I still don't know exactly what it's supposed to completely represent. I just thought it was interesting to use it in that sort of way. Because even the character talks about it being, he says something about it being like a metaphorical representation of something. And he's, really attached to it this whole way through right so i thought the way that played out was super interesting and then also all of the like native american references in this i think are pretty important i'm not sure to what extent but i think he has something to say about the way native americans have been uh treated as well as also like as other or a different class Totally. The ending scene here is heavily uh, influenced by this like them playing out this cowboy and Indian thing. And then the little boy of the wealthy Park family is a Boy Scout and, you know, is in this teepee in the back. And I feel like it brought in a lot of things. I'd love to give it a second second watch and be able to kind of dig deeper into those other clearly important themes or they wouldn't be in the film I don't think but yeah looking forward to just rewatching this in general because it had me at the edge of my seat and I loved kind of every aspect of it like you were saying there's only I mean is there anything that you didn't particularly like
1: I mean the only thing and I think I said this to you like right after we left or or between before now was that it kind of lulled a little bit in the action in the middle of the film, mm-hmm. um, but even you, I think, said like that might have been on purpose because of how much it ramps up, really at the end in terms of the plot thickens and and <laughs> also just like gets crazy right right there was only there was like one moment kind of in the middle that I was just like all right this is really exciting for a bit now what's mm-hmm. happening and then and then chick gets crazy <laughs> so. yeah for sure
0: yes I, the only thing I could possibly think of and it's just mainly me preferring this happened a different way is like how the family when things you know turn all the way up the mechanism that sparks that is them all falling together or from like a slip-up and that part seemed a little derivative or whatever, like that always, always seems to happen where, do you know what part I'm talking about? Did, I do remember being like, really? <laughs> that's really it. That's a small, pretty small critique because it has to be revealed somehow. I just wish maybe it was a a little more subtle or a little more like...
1: There might have been a better way to do that. Yeah, right?
0: like that. that's happened in, in so many, uh, you know, thrillers or whatever where the person that's trying to snoop makes a mistake and either slips or makes a noise or that kind of thing and it actually happens a little a little bit later too um when he drops the rock but anyways yeah that's only it's a small but other than that we both have two big thumbs up i think
1: for sure and i think when we get around to oscar nomination and you know oscar season
0: yeah i think y'all should go see this and Theaters for sure and also this and the other film we're talking about are both we think will both be in the Oscar race in one way or another and they're available now like a lot of times these movies come out right before uh, the Oscars or all together and it's hard to see everything at once but there's not a ton else I think that's you know big releases around in the next couple of weeks. And so good time to go check these out for sure. Happy tears.
1: So I don't think I had happy tears anywhere during this, although I was captivated and locked in. They had me right from the get go and I was locked in the whole time, but same just, uh, not that type of film I would say.
0: Right. I think it's more reflecting on the movie or the themes of it and how they hold true is more of what makes me emotional. But the, the film itself, I don't think it, it's more like there's too much uh mischievous action going on for for that, but I, I mean, there's emotional parts of it, right, but not, yeah, but not necessarily uh like some of it's like shocking and not necessarily things I'd have happy tears from.
1: my experience was that it was mostly fun and exciting for a lot of it, and then it takes kind of a dark turn towards the the end, you know, mm-hmm. so
0: but even right in the fun and exciting part, like there's clearly things you reflect on that are quite sad. From, like, just the way people in one position treat others in another or whatever. But Yeah, highly recommend it. Highly recommend. On to the lighthouse we go.
1: So I saw the lighthouse not last night but the night before, so it's pretty
0: fresh. Mm -hmm. I
1: also don't know what the hell I (laughs) (laughs) watched.
0: Seems to be the consensus, but also... It seems that a lot of people are liking discussing this film afterwards because of some of the mystery of it. And it's just so unlike anything I've really ever watched. And also, I mean, there's definitely connections. There's connections to films that I haven't seen too. And some pretty, you know, auteurs of, of the genre. And they make me want to go back and dive in a little bit more to some other big directors.
1: The Lighthouse stars Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe and it is the hypnotic and hallucinatory tale of two lighthouse keepers on a remote and mysterious New England island in the 1890s so it's a period piece it's in black and white it is just crazy yeah it's in <laughs> a uh,
0: it's also worth noting that he you know filmed this I believe on 35 35- Millimeter and in an aspect ratio of one to nineteen to one, I believe. And you're practically watching a square. Right. When you when you watch this. It's like Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's the opposite of everything that's on
1: Instagram. <laughs> I know Robert Eggers doesn't have a ton of work outside of this, but you've seen some of his other stuff, right?
0: Yeah, so uh really just The Witch I think is his first debut feature-length film. Yeah. And I quite like that film. It kind of had
1: Oh, do you oh, quite my... like that film? <laughs> I'm a sailor, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's another yeah, it's another really strong period piece. The tone is very kind of dreadful the whole time and it's like a horror film that's quite different from a lot of the other horror films that come out. You could tell that uh, Robert Eggers the director is kind of in love with researching these time periods and the folklore and myth of them and then kind of creating this set that feels very much like that time period and feels very lived in and from the dialogue and dialect of both films too is they're both very much set in a certain time period and both hard to understand a little bit a little bit so i recommend both films and subtitles the theater did not have them but i wish they did (laughs) you saw this movie before I did and you had mentioned that
1: and I was expecting it to be worse than it was based on your warning. So I was actually pleasantly surprised. Like, okay, I understood most of that.
0: (laughs) For sure. And, and I think that, um, there's just several moments, one where they're kind of talking in like a mumbly, way and mumble mixed with the dialect is was definitely hard and then or if they're yelling at each other like
1: or trying to yell over each other some of that stuff was right difficult
0: yeah so basically uh william defoe's character and robert pattinson's character are the primary focus of this film there's not really any other characters besides a few at the beginning who are leaving this island where this lighthouse is and it's really a descent into madness i would say and it was hard to figure out what was going on a little bit. and But for the most part, the interaction between these two was pretty extraordinary, I thought. Yeah, the acting was incredible. Yeah. And I think they both were per- perfect for their characters. And so one is pretty subdued and the other one is kind of this larger-than-life sailor talk. Like, a is it Ahab or... Captain Ahab. Captain Ahab, yeah, yeah, from uh, Moby Dick. Yeah, yeah, Willem Dafoe was born to play like a
1: like a sailor pirate role, you know. Yeah, this like, has to, yeah,
0: oh, I, it's perfect. Might be the his best role. Like I, I can't see anyone else playing it, and I think that he absolutely crushed it. I even have been getting these um these little Instagram ads, which is funny. When we were talking about the, the square, it's perfect. right? <laughs> and just the little movements, like when he's he gets angry and stands up and just like, it's also the camera work I think is perfect for these really intense scenes and everything. But the way the camera moves when he stands up and kind of looms large over this, uh, over Robert Pattinson's character and he has this crazy intensity in his eyes and he's like, but just his action from normal face sitting to standing up real quick and crazy face is just chilling
1: yeah this uh movie has done a lot with wide-eyed darkness <laughs> yeah. much like the end of the childish gambino this is america music video like yeah. there were a lot of times i was like that looks a lot like donald yeah <laughs> so at the beginning of the film willem Dafoe and robert pattinson arrive on this island basically that's got this lighthouse and their job is to manage it. They are, I, the word is wiki? Yeah, I think they're wikis. Willem Dafoe is the old, crusty, he's been doing this for years and years. Um, and the old man by the sea. The old man by the sea. <laughs> and Robert Pattinson, this is his first time doing this work. He's done other work in the past mm-hmm. and uh, he's new to it. And so Robert Pattinson essentially gets relegated to doing a lot of manual labor and uh, hauling rocks and fixing up the house and keeping things tidy. While at night, Willem Dafoe tends to the lighthouse, right? Because that's
0: when it's most important.
1: Willem Dafoe is a very strict uh, leader, if mm-hmm. you will, and won't let Robert Pattinson even see the lighthouse or the the top of the room. You know, right? Up there. So
0: there's some mystery around that.
1: And uh, pretty early on, Robert Pattinson starts having some kind of hallucinations or, or we don't really know. Right, right exactly. Like things get a little creepy and a little weird really early on and they just keep going down the rabbit hole. It's very kind of, almost a, a very dark Alice in Wonderland type <laughs> feel. Although there's not like this magical world. You're still stuck in this lighthouse. Yeah. what I miss?
0: I think that's it. You get some info on Robert Pattinson's past that um, brings a new dimension to this this story. But it's really about these two guys in this lighthouse and it's very kind of confined to that. You definitely get this feeling of what it's like to be isolated. There's a lot of things that are done very effectively to make you kind of feel like you're with them. Uh, general thoughts. So, I don't understand this movie at all. <laughs> you don't think at all?
1: I guess I have some theories. Yeah. But but it it's a very... There's a lot of symbolism to it. There's a lot of mixing of philosophy and Greek mythology. And and there's a lot of depth to what's happening.
0: There is, but it's interesting because I feel like the story is so confined and straightforward at the same time. Right. To where it's like, yeah, it's pretty wild because there's occasional flashes of you not understanding what was just on the screen. But for the most part, it's these two guys getting to know each other. And of confined space and being drunk most of the time. <laughs> right, yeah, for sure. I feel like a lot of the film is about the power structure between this authoritarian figure and this person who kinda comes in and then another kind of power play arises as we know more about get to know more about Robert Pattinson's character, I think.
1: Right. But I liked the movie. Yeah. I was pretty engaged early on. I was never bored, although it It's long. It's it's long, but it, I guess I was gonna say it almost looks like a movie that could be boring from the trailer. Like you know, it's just yeah. like it's especially maybe from what a younger me would have looked at. Like it's right. a very art house style film. Yeah. But both of these guys are are just so charismatic, and their physicalities are both really great. And yeah, it's
0: amazing. And I mean, again, talking about set design and camera work, it's just I think it's also firing them kind of all cylinders like Parasite quite different in like pace and definitely different in the way it looks and everything like that but I think each are kind of perfect for their you know what their intended goal is absolutely
1: I mean it's funny when I the first like two minutes of the film yeah there's a lot of symmetry in the shots oh yeah
0: which is because of I mean I feel like it's even more so because of the square nature of the Right, the screen or whatever but go ahead sorry
1: well it just it just felt to me like dark gritty kind of metal Wes Anderson (laughs) that was the vibe I got early on (laughs)
0: yeah dark black metal Wes Anderson that's yeah it's a weird really stark and unsettling shots some of them are just kind of like static shots of the way these cliffs kind of merge with the ocean, and it's all very, I don't know, like, gets you in the mind of what this setting is like, I feel like. And there's yeah. kind of some pretty amazing shots of, like, roaring waves, and a lot of this is just practical um, shots that are, I think, just extremely well executed. and And you get this, like, sense of confinement just because of the ratio, I feel like.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: um, Or the aspect ratio of the film. And so you, it's like you want to see what's to the left and what's to the right, but everything feels so locked in. Feels like tunnel vision.
1: Yeah. You know, like you just, like your peripherals are cut off.
0: Yeah. That mixed with, yeah, the kind of hysteria that ensues and then the sounds, this blaring foghorn that's like, scary. <laughs> oh, it's it's horrible. And you can tell the character hates it and never really gets used to it. And then this kind of grueling work, um, you kind of feel like you're in a daze, like this character is of like not knowing how long he's been there. And it almost, yeah, it almost feels... And I think it's mainly because of the two character nature confined to one space, but there's moments where it kind of just feels like a play or like very theatrical in nature, and a lot of that too is like this dialogue that somewhat seems Shakespearean at, at times. And, yeah. But yeah, it's a a movie I definitely want to see again. I had a hard time picking out the pieces. I think mainly because I was there's a part where you know things are not ordinary anymore, and when that happens, I thought it might go in one direction and I was just kind of like anticipating where that possibly could go. I think that affected my experience of watching it a little bit. Did you think it was going to get
1: a little, a little more mystical? Yeah. That's what I thought
0: too. And um, I do like the decisions the director made. So the one thing about films like this is I love trying to just dive deeper into the film after I've watched it and definitely want to see it again. Definitely want to talk to other people about it i think the craftsmanship is pretty extraordinary and i talked about the witch and time period and everything robert eggers talks about how he kind of prepared to make the movie and how there there was like this story that this is based off of that kind of ends in this and legend almost no one knows what happens to these people that were at this lighthouse and so it's kind of based off that story he really uh researches the sailor seafare dialect. I know he said he was had this like huge <laughs> this thick book of practically sea terms and phrases and everything. I think all of that just felt super authentic, even down to the clothing they were wearing is amazing and all of that. Um yeah.
1: Yeah, there's a moment early on where Willem Defoe is slightly dressing down Robert Pattinson's character, like he's a he's he's offended him in some way, mm. <laughs> and Robert Pattinson responds with "Yes, sir," and Willem Dafoe looks even more offended and says, "I, sir," like like he <laughs> demands that he said that you say "I" instead of "Yes," <laughs> so that just points, you know, to the uh, authenticity of the the sailor life.
0: So yeah, any like favorite moments from this, or
1: well, before I even get into specific favorite moments, I just want to reiterate something you said was the sound design of this film is incredible. Yeah. I, I rarely walk out of a film thinking more about the sound do- design than anything else, <laughs> <laughs> but it really like you mentioned the the foghorn, like creeks and yeah, um, all the different water sounds, mm-hmm. all of the di- you know like the random metal of there's like metallic and wood creaking and all the like machinery and stuff too, yeah, this movie, like parasite, kind of ends in this really crazy sequence, mm-hmm. and all of the sound design around that, the score behind it mm-hmm. was just incredible, yeah, and, and it really I'm not one to often notice things like that. I can appreciate a good score and and usually. If a movie usually that sound doesn't necessarily stand out to me specifically, and and it really did for this film. Yeah, yeah. Standout, standout moments. The big one that blew me away was there are a couple big monologues from Willem Dafoe in this that you used the word Shakespearean earlier that Mm -hmm. that really encapsulate it perfectly. They're 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 like it's like Hamlet or something. You know, it's it's vigorous or like you know King Henry the fourth or whatever you know like it's like important this is what he's saying is a it's this monumental tempest of a monologue you know he's he gets worked up and the one specifically that I'm thinking about is they're they're in their shared bedroom right they're both drunk and and I don't remember what Robert Robert I don't remember what Robert Pattinson says to him that that sets that particularly sets him off in this one, but it's like a two minute monologue. If and if it's not, it feels like it. It's, yeah, well, it's he tells he, he,
0: uh, he tells him he doesn't particularly love his cooking. Yes, <laughs> and, and even the slightest thing like that, he yeah, he goes into this kind of rage, and it's a uh, yeah. I don't know how to explain it besides that it just kind of t- takes your breath away how he's able to deliver it and this manner but also you're thinking this is not how anyone normally speaks he's remembering all of of this and he is this person right now and it's this kind of curse of a monologue it's pretty extraordinary talk about wide eyes I mean like he he just he's doing (laughs) incredible
1: crazy (laughs) eyes and
0: yeah and it's clear that it's a kind of a monumental acting moment when when it's happening but man it's good yeah again in this there's quite a bit of humor that's there's a good bit of dark humor, there's like bodily humor <laughs> there's a uh, and it all fits within this context really well, and it was pretty unexpected for me, so I think that's one of the the highlights um, that scene you're talking about is clearly one of them. Some of the visuals of the kind of hysteria moments are I think really striking and and stay in my head and there's one in particular that you uh talked about at the end that will kind of is kind of like seared into my memory the sound plus the action that's going on is reminds me of like uh kind of like the ending to under the skin or something just something that's striking both visually and uh and and like attached to the audio i just I can replay it over in my head. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and and then the very final scene too, I, I think a lot of what I like is just going back and trying to figure out what all these things mean and it's clear that there's an intention behind all of them and I'm enjoying being able to try to decipher some of it. Like there's clear Greek mythology themes and I don't know, symbols or representations or what. what's the best.
1: Yeah, I mean the most obvious being that there's uh, Robert Pattinson's character is having these experiences we don't know if they're dreams or if they're real or if they're delusions or uh what of this siren in the water that's like calling to him or he keeps running into right along with this little figure that he finds in the house this little like clay or wood statue
0: right yeah i think this film has a lot to say about um what the mind is capable of in isolation and repression and there's still some confusion for me on like what each character represents or even if one character is real or not <laughs> or like All right. something I'm still chewing on. But I I definitely, I liked the film. I had one theory
1: as I was watching this about maybe some of the thematic symbolism.
0: Do we want to go into, I feel like we can for this and just both give some, throw stuff out throw there. Throw some, there. see what sticks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I'm not going to go through any... I don't think I'm going to touch on any specific plot points, but just in case we do, here's a spoiler warning. We might spoil some of the elements of the ending or plot points, so if you don't want this movie spoiled, skip to the end so you can listen to us ask for a five-star rating on iTunes. (laughs) Here's some of my first theory that I had while watching. I don't have a lot to substantiate it, Yeah, but the first time we see Robert Pattinson's character... Interact with the siren. He's like. It's the middle of the night. Mm -hmm. He leaves their little house. He's supposed to sleep through the night. So he he basically has the day shift. And Willem Dafoe has the night shift. And uh, he kind of sneaks out. While Willem Dafoe is up in his tower. Mm -hmm. in, In the lighthouse. Doing God knows what. He walks out to the shore. And. He thinks he sees. Like a body or something out in the water and so yeah. he kind of wades out into the water and as he does the light that's reflecting off of the water what maybe we perceive to be moonlight but the, mm-hmm. the the shot is of looking back at robert pattinson as he wades forward right and the way the light is bouncing up into his face to me looked a little bit like firelight it had me thinking like what if this is a weird version of hell like that's like because he kind of goes mad. Mm-hmm. This is and this is early on in the film, but he's already starting to kind of lose it a little bit. He's clearly unhappy, mm-hmm. and so my thought was like, what if this is like a weird
0: water hell?
1: And I don't have a lot more to yeah
0: substantiate that. No, but. but I think that's totally valid. I think it's interesting, even if it's not particularly a like intentionally a physical version of that. Maybe this is a mental manifestation of. Of that as right. a person who has um some big regrets or some grief there's there's particular things that he's uh, working through and has to I mean come into play, butting up against this authoritarian character right in William Defoe's character. and there's a lot of um we talked about the Greek mythology imagery, so there's I think even Prometheus is mentioned, but one of the kind of thoughts on this. Uh, that the lighthouse is symbolic of like Prometheus going to steal the light from or the fire from the gods. And yeah. there's this curiosity that turns into more than that from Pattinson's character uh, about the lighthouse because he's restricted from it. And but he also sees some really weird stuff happening up there. So there's also, yeah, there's that urge um, and kind of craving of, you know. Something that's unattainable, almost, or whatever, yeah. and then
1: well, and and this whole movie does
0: really grapple with a man's base desires, right? Right, it's clear sexual desires throughout the film that are um with the, s- the siren, but also even William Dafoe's character, yeah, and, or these visions that are that we don't know if they're visions, <laughs> right? Yeah, there's definitely a blurred line between real and yeah, there's not. Un- yeah, even the the final scene is like. Ah, uh, Prometheus's punishment or whatever for stealing the fire is that he's gets he's like has his liver eaten by a bird and has to relive this metaphorical hell over every day.
1: oh, see, i I don't remember that story at all,
0: yeah. so I mean, I had to freshen up on all that, and I still don't really understand the whole thing, right. But there's that element to it. There's the element where we're trying to figure out William Defoe's characters even. You keep saying William. You know it's William. Willem, right? Yeah. Okay. Am I saying I, I'm William? I'm hearing William. Oh, so. No, Willem. Dafoe. Okay. I just want to make sure you I'll know I'll say it's it there. right. And if you can, uh, Willem Dafoe's character. But all of this is along with, there's a clear, you know, hysteria that he's falling into, but he's also getting back into drinking and they're drinking like kerosene as well. And there's like. Right. By the end, they're, they're. <laughs> so going you don't know nuts. what's, yeah, you don't know what's real or not real. So there's a, a lot going on that I just. Pretty much want to rewatch.
1: I definitely do feel like I need to see it again if I really want to fully grasp anything. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to this movie that yeah, it's a it's a head scratcher
0: for sure. I guess going into another favorite moment that um, is the burial scene. I yeah. think was just extremely hard to watch. They are kind of getting closer, you know, doing this zoom in on one of the characters, and you see what is real dirt getting thrown. <laughs> and someone's mouth and him delivering these lines just perfectly yeah. for the the setting. And you realize how hard that must have been. It is so dirty. It's so kinda raw and yeah, filthy.
1: <laughs> it is filthy. I mean it's talk about an epic monologue. I mean, jeez.
0: Yeah, and then obviously the scene before it gets pretty weird and this power dynamic shifts and like did you notice after the barrel scene he shows back up without like you know, like when the axe part happens. Yeah. <laughs> he has, like, no dirt on him, and he's... So I'm wondering if that part is completely all in Pattinson's head.
1: Yeah, well, and that's the thing, is, is I know... I have no sense of what's real and what's not from this movie from the very beginning. Like, mm-hmm. he has the first, quote-unquote, dream about the siren, like, in the first, like, 20 minutes of the movie. And, and yeah. from then on, it's just like, he's slips further and further into something, you know, like right. for all, for all I know, Willem Dafoe's character was never, it was a figment of his imagination or something. Yeah. Maybe that's, that may, they, that's part of why I was like, man, is he in hell? Like, is any of this real? Yeah. Cause especially because we learn later in the film that he is dealing with guilt about something. Right. And so there, right. there's a lot to be said. I think, I think this movie is saying a lot about guilt and repression of maybe it's about repression in general the, right. the repression of guilt the repression of sexuality the repression of emotion right and what that does to a human mind right. right and yeah I did like this movie but it I do find myself two days later feeling exhausted by it
0: it in particular or <laughs> well I don't you know
1: maybe it's some of my personal life also <laughs> like I'm, I'm just I had a crazy work week but I, yeah. I do feel movies and general, like Parasite Which ends up being a pretty heavy, although Mm -hmm. it's a fun movie for a while, it also ends in a pretty heavy way. Mm -hmm. This movie's pretty heavy. The Joker's so heavy. Like, I feel like a lot of pop culture is really just reflecting the times that we live in today in that life is so hard. (laughs) You know, with, with the politics of today being way crazier than anything in the past in mm-hmm. terms of social media, Russia's hacking us, guns and shootings, and, and then the Joker. And, the, you know, like, I'm just, I'm exhausted, man. <laughs> and I'm thinking about the movies that are coming out. And the only thing that I can think of is like, God, I hope Star Wars is has a happy ending. <laughs>
0: like, well, and the, the Mr. Rogers movie. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Maybe that's the only thing we that I had to bring look you forward back, to. Bring you out of it. I'm just, I'm looking forward to what this guy or what Robert Eggers does next for sure. And I just like movies like this where I can kind of talk about them afterwards. But yeah, there's quite a different experience watching them. I'm thinking of people like Ingmar Bergman and uh, Tarkovsky, films of theirs that kind of explore this sort of dreamlike territory and what the mind is capable of, and all of these kind of colder black and white films. I just know I need to see more of those, too. I'm sure, I know that there's influence from those films in this, too. For sure. I, I would
1: argue that it is difficult to enjoy this movie without maybe going with a friend and, like, discussing it afterwards.
0: It's kind of a gift that keeps on giving when you can talk about it, learn new things about it, learn from it, all that stuff. So,
1: so yeah. It's in theaters now, like... Parasite, Both will probably be um, heavily discussed in the next couple of months as we lead up to the Oscars uh, that are usually in February.
0: Yeah, I hope to see both of these guys in in running for actor and supporting actor. Yeah, for sure. Which I'm not sure. I I assume Pattinson's main, but I don't know. I think so. Would you vote for these guys over Brad Pitt and Leo?
1: Yes. I think I would
0: too. (laughs) This is like career kind of defining... At least in like a theatrical sense, I think like the, you know, the movie's not some expansive, largely narrative film. It's a like we've talked about being confined to a space and it's more like theater in that way. Yeah. But I think it's amazing. It's cool. We'll watch interviews of them talk about how they work differently on set. Like Willem comes from a theater background and he wants to rehearse, 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 and he can add textures to each time he rehearses this and Pattinson's the opposite of that. And he wants just the spark of the moment. Like spontaneity. And like, yes. And, that, and, it. Um, and it kind of works perfectly for their characters in the movie is what Robert Eggers was saying. So it was like he couldn't see any other two people playing these characters and it worked out well even though they worked quite differently. thought that was pretty interesting too. Yeah, I, I definitely recommend it. <laughs> the caveat of know you're getting into something that's quite different from the usual. Bring a friend. <laughs> talk about it after
1: thank you for listening to happy tears happy tears is produced by nick melita and brandon henry you can get more information as well as this episode's show notes at happytearspod.com and you can also follow us on instagram at happy tears podcast we're also on facebook you can like our page it's just happy tears podcast if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, that would be huge for us. Those reviews help us grow our audience, and um, I guess that's really it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love you for it, though.
0: Yeah. Uh, original theme music by homage. Uh You can check him out at YouTube.com slash Beats. Shout out to Amage He he engages with us on,
1: on the Instagram. Yeah, oh, Homage.
0: Also, check out our Spotify playlist called Happy Tears Mixtape. We talk a lot of music on this podcast, and a lot of it will show up on that playlist where you can enjoy it as well.
1: Next week on the podcast, we will be dissecting Michael Kiwanuka's new album, Kiwanuka, Mm, as well as the new film by Taika Waititi, Jojo Rabbit. Farewell!